Well, good morning, and thank you so much for being at Rock Hills with us here today. And I do want to echo what's already been said, but happy Father's Day to all of you dads in the room, grandfathers, foster fathers, those of you who are playing an active role in discipling and leading others as well. So thank you. If your dad happens to be here in the service today, would you give him a big round of applause, especially? Thankful to have all of you here with us. Uh, So like Heather said, we are picking back up in the book of Acts. So I'm going to give you a little recap here, and I want to encourage you, uh, hopefully this just gives us kind of a 10,000 foot view of what happens in the book of Acts, because it's a crucial book within the New Testament. I mean, really every book in the Bible is crucial, but this one is particularly crucial because of the dynamic that happens. Acts is written by Luke, who is one of the disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And in his first book that he wrote, called Luke, he tells the story of Jesus. In the second book that he writes, which is really the sequel to the book of Luke, it's Acts, and it tells the story after Jesus has risen from the dead, he ascends into heaven, the Holy Spirit is poured out for all believers, and then the church is born. So Luke tells the story of Jesus, and then Acts goes on and tells the story of the church. Now, Luke was a physician. He was a doctor. And in his particular writing styles, it's really neat because you can see different writing styles within the writers of the Bible, but his particular writing style is very well researched. He talks to a lot of people, and it's very detailed in the way that he explains it. So reading Luke and Acts uh, really pair together. So it's it's a great way to study the Bible there, reading those two together. But as the church is born, what begins to happen is the church is never about a building. The church is always about a group of people who are motivated by what Jesus has done and their lives have been changed and they're motivated in such a way that they begin to love God, to love others, to help people find and follow Jesus. And that's exactly why that's the mission of our church is because we want to do the same thing. Because of what Jesus has done in our lives, we want to love God and love others. And that's exactly what we see here in the book of Acts. Acts is what we call both prescriptive and descriptive. In other words, we can look at the book of Acts and we can see prescriptively, these are some of the ways that we're supposed to live our lives as believers, but yet the book is also descriptive. In other words, telling us this is a story that happened. This is a historical account that happened within this period of time. So not all books in the New Testament are that way. Some of them are prescriptive. Some of them are descriptive. Acts happens to be both prescriptive and descriptive. Now, what I love about the book of Acts is it begins... By when Jesus goes into heaven, he has this talk with all the believers and he basically says, you're going to have a purpose, you're going to have a place, and you're going to have the power to accomplish everything that I have called you to accomplish. And that wasn't just for the believers in the first century, that applies to every single one of us today who follow after God. That God has a purpose for every one of us. He has a place for every one of us to do what he has called us to do. And he gives us the power to accomplish everything that he calls us to accomplish. So as we get into the book of Acts, and especially as we get into the second half of the book of Acts, it jumps headfirst right into adventure mode. We're going to go right into the place where these believers begin to live out an unbelievable 
adventure, which is really a great place to start on Father's Day. Again, I thought maybe we should just do something for Father's Day, but I thought, no, this is, this is really perfect because this is a group of men and women as well who said, God, we're going to give you everything. And when they did that, they went out on the most unbelievable adventure of their lives. And that's what we see, especially in the second half of the book of Acts. Now, I think when we talk about adventure, for some of you, that brings different things to mind, right? Because some of you, you're the kind of people that uh, if you've got a free week, you would love to go out in the wilderness, catch your food right out of the river, put it in a fryer pan, frying pan, sleep in a tent. How many of you are, are like that? Any of you here, men or women, it doesn't matter. How many of you, you, your great idea of camping involves the JW Marriott and room service? All right. Either way, it's adventure, right? It's just two different types of adventure. As we look at the book of Acts, we're going to see different kinds of adventures, neither of which necessarily involve camping or the JW Marriott, but we're going to see them dive into adventure because when we follow after God, I can guarantee you it's going to be an adventure. I think one of the most common misconceptions about becoming a Christian, especially for men, is that if I become a Christian, I'm not going to have fun ever again. All, all my adventure goes right out the door, and nothing could be further from the truth. Because the truth is, when we surrender everything to God and say, God, you can do whatever you want with this life. I will go where you want me to go, and I will do what you want me to do. It is going to be the most amazing adventure beyond what we could ever think of. We see in the book of Acts... There's people who are risking their lives. They're going out on the original mission trips. Next week, we're sending our high school students off to Louisiana on a mission trip. Here in about a month, we're going to send a group of men and young men off to Honduras on a mission trip to serve others and to share the gospel. We see this happening in the book of Acts in this grand adventure that they go on. They get thrown in jail. They get beaten. There's snake bites. There's shipwrecks. There's all kinds of things that go on here in the latter half of the book of Acts. And I love these stories. I love to look at these stories in the book of Acts. The danger in reading these stories is sometimes we can look at them as a story, right? This is a Bible story that happened to these people. Because if we look at these stories, we could say, yeah, but these people, they either knew of Jesus, saw Jesus, or they were just one person removed. They knew somebody who knew Jesus and was at probably the crucifixion or the resurrection. They were hands-on, right? They saw these miracles happen that were in the book of Acts. And we could look at that and say, but we don't have that advantage. I mean, here we are in 2018. You know, we don't have that advantage of having seen Jesus ourselves or know somebody who saw him ourselves. But I, I want to challenge you in this. Today, as we look at the first missionary journey that these gentlemen are going to set out on, as we look at this adventure, we can see four things that they lived out very practically in their lives and they saw the power of God. And we can see these same things within our lives, I believe, just by putting some of these simple things in place. So when we left off back in the fall, we finished at Acts chapter 13, just the first few verses. And in Acts chapter 13, you have this all-star, uh, all-star group, all-star team 
of guys who had gotten together to share the gospel. So you have this all-star group of missionaries, of people who would go on to be leaders and pastors. And it says that they get together and they pray. Because they had been kind of scattered and they end up, uh, they end up, up in what is now Syria. They end up there and they're praying together in this room and they say, what do we do next? And as they pray and they fast, they turn to two of the guys, Paul and Barnabas, and they say, we think you two need to go on from here and start the first missionary journey. And that's where we begin today. Stephen, if you could pull up the map for me. And really, I just got a map because I wanted to use this handy-dandy new laser I got. And it's Father's Day, so you can't say anything. All right? So what's happening here is all the believers were down in Jerusalem, down here. And then the persecution begins to happen. So they all start to scatter. Some of them go down to Egypt, which is down here. A lot of them go up to Antioch, which is in what is now Syria up here. So... The original people who had to be refugees were fleeing to Syria up here. Now, Antioch here is a major city. It would be considered a metroplex. Even back then, it was a major city. Still today, it is a major city. So this is where they ended up. And then they're going to take this journey. They're going to end up down here and back around and come back to Antioch. And just not to be confusing, there's another small Antioch up here. So think Paris, Texas, Paris, France, all right? That's the difference there. They're in two different countries, but both have the same name, and they're going to end up in both of those cities. So I don't want you to be confused. But this group of men are up here in Antioch, and this is where a lot of the believers ended up, and then the first missionary journey starts right out of there. So Paul and Barnabas, they... They fast, they pray, they say, okay, you guys are going out. And they say, well, where are we going to go to? And they had one of those moments. I don't know if you ever have this in your family. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Where do you want to eat? I don't know. Well, they end up going down here to Cyprus. Cyprus is a beautiful island. It was a beautiful island then. It's still a beautiful island now. I believe we have a picture of Cyprus. There it is. It's a very lovely place. You can still go vacation there. This is where Paul and Barnabas end up going For their first step. And this is what it says in verse 4 of chapter 13. So Paul and Barnabas set out by the Holy Spirit, went down to the seaport of Seleucia, and then sailed on to the island of Cyprus. Now, Cyprus is a very pagan place. It was a Greek island filled with Greek mythology. Aphrodite, who is known as the goddess of love, this is where she was from. So it's a very pagan place filled with a lot of mythology. But it turns out that Barnabas actually knows a lot of people there. He was from there. He owns some land there. And as Barnabas goes down there, he doesn't just know some people. Barnabas, we'll see in a little bit, he actually knows the governor of Cyprus. So they're going to have this meeting with the governor here in just a little bit. But here's the thing. Nobody had ever done this before. Nobody had ever been changed by Christ and then gone out on a missionary journey. So they they sit out and they go, where do we go? And they say, well, let's go to Cyprus. I know some people there. So they get on a boat and they head down to Cyprus and they end up there. And then what are they going to do when they get there? There's no manual for this, right? So we see in verse 5, There in the town of Salamis, 
they went to the Jewish synagogues and preached the word of God. John Mark went with them as their assistant. So the first thing that we can pick up from these missionary journeys is simply this. Do what you know. All right, so Paul and Barnabas are going to show up and they're not going to do anything that they haven't been doing already. They're just going to show up and they're going to do what they know how to do where they know how to do it. So Barnabas had connections in Cyprus. They go to Cyprus, and when they get there, they're just going to do what they know. And I think we could all take that into account for our own lives as well because we can look and hear stories of people who do these amazing things for God and think, what in the world could I do? The answer is very simple. Just do what you know. You all have giftings and abilities. You're connected wherever you work or wherever you go to school in your neighborhood. Just take the opportunities that you already have. Maybe it's just putting burgers on the grill and inviting your neighbors over or being a kind person at work. Just going and doing what you know can make a huge difference. Now, just a little history note here. As we go through the book of Acts, you're going to see a lot of magicians and sorcerers. And you can kind of go, what in the world is is that about? You know, it kind of sounds like a sci-fi movie or something. But what was happening in this Greek culture, they were very superstitious. And even now, archaeology finds these little charms, little medallions all over the place that was made in Greek culture. And these charms and medallions could be purchased from a magician or a sorcerer, and it was supposed to bless you or curse your enemies, right? So these magicians and sorcerers were very wealthy people because they made you blessed or they made your enemies cursed, right? There was a lot of power, they thought, in that. And so they would make these these charms, and a lot of times what the charm was supposed to do, besides just blessing and cursing, Specifically, it was supposed to make your enemies blind or impotent or keep you from being blind or impotent. And that was the purpose of these charms. And we're about to have an encounter with one of these magicians. So Paul and Barnabas have this opportunity. They go and meet with the governor when they get to the island of Cyprus. But as they go to meet with the governor, there's a very powerful magician there. And when I say powerful, I mean he's got a lot of influence. He sold a lot of charms and he's got a lot of money in his pocket. So he hangs out with the governor himself. So when they go to visit the governor, here's what it says in verse 8. But Ilimus, the sorcerer, as his name means in Greek, interfered and urged the governor to pay no attention to what Paul and Barnabas said. In other words, he's giving them a, there's nothing to see here. Right? As Paul and Barnabas start to speak. He was trying to keep the governor from believing. Saul, also known as Paul, was filled with the Holy Spirit. And he looked the sorcerer in the eye. I love this part right here. In verse 10 he said, Then he said, You son of the devil, full of every sort of deceit and fraud, and enemy of all that is good, will you never stop perverting the true ways of the Lord? Now, when you look at this, you have to understand, when, when I picture Paul saying that, here's what I picture. Could you give me the next? Right? Here's Paul showing up and saying, do you feel lucky, punk? I mean, he looks right at this guy and says, you son of the devil. I mean, this probably is close to cursing as you're going to hear. Full 
of every sort of deceit and fraud and enemy of all that is good. He just keeps going on and on. Will you never stop perverting the ways of the Lord? Watch now, for the Lord has has laid his hand of punishment upon you and will strike you blind. You will not see sunlight for some time. Instantly, mist and darkness came over the man's eyes and he began groping around for someone to take his hand. Right? I mean, Paul just shows up and lets this guy have it. Now, why blind? We already know that that's one of the things that he thinks he can control, right? By selling his charm. But you also have to remember, just a few chapters ago, this guy, Paul, who was then Saul, was an enemy of God. He was literally hunting down Christians to have them killed. And one day when he's out on a hit mission, this power of God shows up and speaks to him. And Paul, if you remember, is struck blind. The same thing happens to Paul. So Paul's instant reaction to this guy is just to do what he knows. I'm going to give you what I had to experience because in that moment, it changed Saul's life. It changed him to Paul. So he does what he knows. So the first thing that we need to remember as we go on the adventure that God has for every one of us, just start by doing what you know. Do what you know until God shows you the next thing to do. And that may seem like it's not super spiritual, but you don't have to over-spiritualize it. Just go to work. And be the light of Christ. Just go to your school. Just be a good neighbor. And be the light of Christ in all that you do. The result of this in verse 12 says the governor becomes a believer. He becomes a follower after Christ. Stephen, could you bring the map back up for me? So I can use my laser again. So then they head from Antioch down. They went to Cyprus. And now they're going to go up here to Perga and Pisidia. The... uh, the Paris, Texas, and then they'll end up in Iconium, Derby, and Lystra. So they're going to hit all this area that is right up there. And we see in verse 14, But Paul and Barnabas traveled to the inland of Antioch, Pisidia. On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue services. After the usual readings from the book of Moses and the prophets... Those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So again, they're doing what they know. They show up at this new place, at the small Antioch. They go immediately to a place of worship, and they sit in on the service. And then somebody sends them a message that says, Hey, if you have anything you want to share, come on up here and share it. Aren't you guys... Guys, glad we don't do that after it's your first time here, right? Hey, you're here for the first time. Come on up. We want you to give part of the message, right? Well, that's, that's basically what happened because they wanted to hear what was going on in other parts uh, of the world, of what Christ was doing. So they invite these guys to come up and share. So the first thing is we simply need to do what we know. The second thing that we need to do is watch for God. Be ready for opportunities that God gives you. So watch for the opportunities that God gives you. We go on through the rest of chapter 13, really, 
And Paul continues to take these opportunities that God gives them to share the gospel with these people. He tells them the whole story of who Jesus was and what he did. And remember, these are all Jewish people. So he takes it all the way back to David, their hero. And he ties Jesus in all the way back to David and then says, this is the one that you've been waiting for. Because every good Jewish person was waiting for the true Messiah. And Paul shows up and says, this is him. This is the Messiah. We have experienced him. This is the one that you have been waiting for. And watch what happens as they took the opportunities that God gave them. In verse 42, Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day. The people begged them to speak about things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas and urged the men to continue to rely on the grace of God. The following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of God. If we look for the opportunities that God gives us, there's no telling what God can do in our lives. The third thing that we can pick up from these adventures that these guys went on is don't expect it to be easy to follow Jesus. Now we see they showed up. The governor believed. These people believed. That almost sounds easy. But if you're just reading that, you don't see all the difficulties they went through. But then again, it wouldn't be adventure if it was all easy, right? And this is anything but easy. The religious elite who were in power were feeling threatened by this. So they wanted to do whatever they could to stop it. In verse 50, it says this, Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city. They incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust off of their feet as a sign of rejection and went on to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy in the Holy Spirit. So here they are. They show up. They do a great thing. And people say, we're not going to have that here. So they say, okay, we'll move on and we'll look for the next opportunity that God gives us. Wherever we see the gospel advancing, there's always opposition to it. So as you obey the Lord in your own life, there's going to be opposition to that. We all think, you know, man, I just want to be in the center of the will of God. That sounds like a great place to be. And it is a great place to be, but when you're in the center of the will of God, it's going to stretch you. And it's going to hurt. And it's going to challenge you. And people that love you and people that hate you are going to come against you. Because the enemy does not want you to be in the center of the will of God. One thing that we can learn here from Paul and Barnabas' adventures. Is we should never underestimate the greatest sermon that we will all preach. How you handle difficulties how you handle rejection, how you handle pressure says a whole lot about what you truly believe. You and I, we can both preach a sermon. We don't have to say any words to do it. It's simply when life gets hard, how are you going to react? And we see that here with Paul and Barnabas. Time and time again, they face difficult situations and they just get up, they shake it off, and they keep doing what God has called them to do. It goes on to chapter 14. They go on to Lystra and Derby. They show up there. This is a cool story. There's a lame man who hasn't been able to walk since birth. He's never been able to walk, right? They show up and it says that Paul recognizes his faith. 
I don't know necessarily how you recognize it, but Paul had discernment. He sees the man's faith. He tells him to get up and walk, and instantly this man stands up, and he's healed, which is a really awesome thing, right? Except everybody else around them saw it, and all of a sudden they think, Paul and Barnabas are gods. These, these were people influenced by the Greek culture, right? Who thought all these people could be gods with superpowers. So they think Paul and Barnabas must be gods. So Paul sees another opportunity, right? He's stepping into what he's known. He does what he's known. He sees the opportunity. And again, he begins to tell people about Christ and what the real reason is for this man being healed. However, these people are still so impressed, they think Paul and Barnabas must be gods, so they start bringing sacrifices and putting them at Paul and Barnabas' feet. And it creates this really awkward situation, right? Um, so they get so upset that they have Paul stoned the old-fashioned way, right, with rocks. And so bad that they think that Paul is dead. They literally think they killed the guy. They drag him out of town, and after he gets out of town, He wakes up, gains consciousness, brushes off the blood, and he goes right back into the next village. It says in verse 26, Finally, they return on a ship to Antioch, Syria, where their journey had begun. The believers there had entrusted them to the grace of God and the work that they had now completed. Upon arriving in Antioch, so they're back at the beginning, They called the church together and reported everything that God had done through them and how he had opened the door of faith to Gentiles too. So the fourth thing that we need to do as we go on the adventure of faith is simply this, stay grounded and connected in community. So Paul and Barnabas go out on this grand adventure. They see highs, they see lows so bad that people think they're dead. They just keep going. They find the opportunities. They trust God in the midst of all of it. But in the midst of all of it, they come back to their home base where there's people who love them, people who care for them. And that's so important for us as well, that we're staying connected to people who are going to be praying for us, people who are going to be lifting us up. It's what I love about Rock Hills. Rock Hills, relationship, discipleship, leadership is what we want to do. Relationships are extremely important to us. And if you're here and you feel like, man, I don't know anybody. I don't know how to connect. I need somebody to help me grow in my understanding. That's exactly what we want to do. So you just let one of us know afterwards and we can get you started on that path. Relationship, discipleship, and leadership. It's what happens when we stay grounded in the midst of community. So I want to encourage you on this Father's Day, do what you know, be ready for the opportunities that God gives you. Don't expect it to be easy. Stay grounded and connected in community. Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have not called us to anything, Lord, that's boring or dull, but Father, you have called us, as it says in John 10.10, to live life to its fullest. Father, I I pray that you would forgive me and sometimes forgive us for just taking the easy route, the, the, the route of least resistance. And Father, I pray that we would be a people who love you and love others. Father, and we trust in you with all of our hearts. If you're here today and you need to begin this journey by just simply saying, 
I want to be like that governor that I hear this, this story and I know that that's what I need and I want to surrender my life to Christ. Would you just take a moment in your own words and in your own heart, maybe you need to say, God, I want you to take me on the adventure that you have for my life. Maybe you just need to begin by surrendering all that you are to God. Would you just pray that in your own words today? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again that you sent Jesus for us and to us that we might know you. Lord, I thank you that Jesus shed his blood that we could be forgiven and made new creations. Lord, I pray that you take us and you send us, that we would live and be all that you desire for us to live and be. In Jesus' name, amen.